Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Today, we're here to talk about labor shortages, a challenge that is affecting most advanced economies and that could complicate recovery after the pandemic. We're joined by Ian Begg, Professorial Research Fellow at LSE and Funkas Europe. Ian, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Carlos. I look forward to the discussion. So put simply, there are not enough workers. Businesses are struggling to hire all the workers they need. As of the first quarter of 2021, the Eurozone's active workforce remained 2.6 million below the pre-pandemic levels, while the US labor force still has almost 2 million fewer people. The governor of the Bank of France has called this the biggest break on the economy. Larry Summers, former US Treasury Secretary, recently told the Financial Times, we have a record high level of quits a record high level of job vac vacancies, and every employer in America is complaining how labor short they are. So Ian, let's start with the basics. Why is this all happening? I think there's a very simple explanation, which is a fall in what we call the participation rate. That's the number of people willing to be in the labor market. And the explanation further from that is that with COVID, a number of those who were taken away from employment during the pandemic may well have decided they're not going back into employment because of the risks. And if the labour supply falls in that way because people, people become economically inactive, it's no surprise that the labour supply is reduced. But um, these people that they may decide not to work, they may need to earn some income. So how can they afford just simply not to go back to work? Well, this is where we need to look into the details of the numbers, and I don't think anyone has done this yet to work out whether it's uh, those with second jobs, those who are in uh, two-worker two households where maybe one of the workers decides to cease working. There could be any number of potential explanations, which we'll only find out when we get the next labour force surveys to work, work out what's been going on. What about the issue of the different sets of skills that many businesses are looking for after the pandemic? Obviously, we are, we are entering in a new world and businesses may need uh, to provide different services or they may need to provide services in a different way. And this may uh, involve having some uh, expertise in certain areas that maybe are new. Uh, do you think there's a gap there as well? Yes, it's another possible explanation. If you consider the businesses or the activities which have been most hit by the pandemic, they're going to include hospitality activities, the, the whole tourism sector, those which involve direct personal service. And if you're at all concerned about the, the risks from COVID of direct personal service, it gives you motivation to withdraw from the labour market. Now, if there are vacancies 
in those sectors as the unlocking takes place. It's no surprise that uh, restaurants, bars and so on are finding it difficult to employ people because they'll be hesitant. The same people might be might want to go to work elsewhere, but they're not qualified for it. So you therefore face a, a skills gap in that those who could potentially move on to other activities are not in a position to do so because of their lack of qualifications for the alternative job. And I think it's this kind of a stew that's going on in the labour market with some people withdrawing, some people moving, wanting to move to other activities, some employers unable to fill the vacancy, some uh, with maybe uh, plenty of labour, that you find all the changes. And add to all of this, some of the new activities we've seen prospering, if that is the word, as a result of the pandemic, you, you could argue that uh, things like delivery drivers or those who are working more intensively in healthcare are the areas where there's been an absorption of demand, and that's going to be to the detriment of other sectors. So it's a, a sectoral problem as well as a macroeconomic one. I wonder, um, because I know there are uh, quite a number of people that are quitting their jobs, and, and I wonder if post-pandemic preferences are also playing a role here. And I'm thinking of people who want to telework or people who want to have more flexibility in terms of schedule, and maybe they are now disappointed by companies trying to go back to the past. Do you think that this may be happening as well? I, again, we, we lack data, but uh, my instinct is no, that's not going to be a huge consideration because if you have a, a reasonable paying job and your employer says, right, it's time to stop working at home and come back to the office, there are ways of doing that, such as working two, three or four days a week rather than the, the previous five, which can mitigate the the concerns that some of the workers may have. But instead, I think what what's a more likely one is that employers are going to be looking at the same time to, to find ways of attracting labour. And this means significant adjustment in pay rates. There's been a, a very striking example in the UK over the last few months in relation to the shortage of truck drivers. Now, we know from reports that there's a shortage of truck drivers everywhere, but it's been particularly marked in the UK where we've seen the, the queues waiting for, for getting a fuel for cars because truck drivers have not been delivering it. And then that's exacerbated by people going to fill up when they don't need to. The difficulty there is it takes time to train uh, a truck driver. You need to get the license, and sometimes the licenses have been delayed because the licensing authority has been slow. So it's, it's an accumulation of factors that gives rise to this. Now, as for withdrawing from the labour market, it may be there's an age cohort element in this, in that some older workers may be thinking, right, I've had enough. I've worked 40, 50 years. The pandemic has shown me that I can enjoy the leisure, and that's one reason for me as an older worker to withdraw. That plus the, the second earner in the family or those with second jobs. I'm sure there's an explanation in this. We just need to find out what it is. But Ian, it's been suggested that rising salaries may help is to adjust demand and supply in the labor force. Is that as simple as that? In some cases, just a matter of, of paying better? No, it's not as simple as that because you need to train people. If you want a truck driver, they don't just get in the truck and start driving. They, they need to go on courses to learn how to drive the truck. They need to obtain the necessary certification from the authorities before they can start. So there's, there's going to be considerable friction in moving from one occupation to another. 
and even high pay is only going to cause one employer to, to win at the expense of another rather than there being a solution to the overall problem. Again, the UK example is, is illustrative of this. What we see in the UK is a relaxation of visa controls that uh, Boris Johnson's government had tried to impose on what has been regarded up to now as a relatively low-skilled occupation in the hope of attracting those truck drivers from particularly from Central and Eastern Europe, where there are also shortages. So it's a substitution effect rather than uh, an addition to the labour supply. Uh, I need to ask you, you mentioned the, the UK and we've seen um, over the news the disruption caused by, um, by this phenomenon in the UK. And some are blaming the pandemic, others are blaming Brexit altogether. And I wonder what, what, what of those two phenomena are uh, more important to understand the disruption we're seeing in the UK. So which one do you think is 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 more critical here? I think they're both to blame. And it, it, there's not really much advantage in saying it's 40-60 or 60-40. Instead, what, what we need to understand is the process, which is that after Brexit happened and before the pandemic struck, there was already a, a context in which foreign workers particularly those from Central and Eastern Europe who are doing many of the lower skilled occupations, thought, well, it's not, not nice for me to stay in the UK. I'm going to go home. Poland is booming. Some of the other Central and Eastern European countries are booming. So there are more opportunities there. Then when COVID came and we had the lockdown, some of these jobs simply were suspended. In, in the UK, we called it furlough and in, in France, it's the chômage partiel. In Germany, it's Kurzarbeit. And no doubt you'll tell me what the expression is in Spain. When, when you have all these things coming together, then there's a reason to go home. And then it takes a further decision to want to come back to the job you had in the past. So I think it's an interaction between COVID and Brexit rather than the predominance of one or the other. At the start of the pandemic, the US and Europe including the UK, took different strategies to protect the labor force. In the US, the government paid benefits direct, directly to workers, whereas in the EU and the UK, companies were subsidized to retain their staff. So Ian, in view of the current challenges we are seeing, what model has worked best? It depends on the objectives you think we should assess this by. If, if you're concerned about keeping people attached to the labour market to avoid the process that is known to economists as hysteresis, where the longer you're away from the labour market, the more the erosion of your skills and commitment to work. If that's your objective, preventing hysteresis, then I think the European model works best because it means that you, you don't lose your job, you're not unemployed, you're furloughed from your job, you're suspended from the job, but you can still go back to that same job. Whereas the American system is much more cutthroat in some respects. It's saying, right, the job is no longer viable, you're out of the job, but when we pick up again, we'll, we'll, we'll rehire you, possibly on lower terms. And that is one way of dealing with it, which I think many Europeans would find disagreeable and not consistent with European social norms. However, what the US has done, as you said, is to pay directly checks into the bank accounts of every citizen. My American friends tell me they received one check signed by Donald Trump and a second one signed by Joe Biden. So it's highly entertaining to get these two bits of paper. Both are worth well, the same, I guess. I think they were... 
they don't really care whether it's, who signs it as long as the money's coming into their bank account. And that's something which is it sustains the, the ability to consume of those who, who, who receive the cheques. Now, they're, they're both place demands on the public sector because they are costly programmes. They both bolster the income of somebody who would otherwise be unemployed. And I think the phenomenon that is very interesting to observe in all of this is that on both sides of the Atlantic, rises in unemployment really have been very limited during the pandemic. And that may be one of the more, more enduring puzzles about the pandemic, partly explained by withdrawal from the labour force, but partly also by the protective measures used to keep people in, not in work, but at least associated with work. So policymakers managed to protect employment one way or another. And now the challenge seems to be to, to, to match supply and demand because there's, there's a gap there. So what do you think is the, the, perhaps the most important policy that they could think of to help the market adjust in this, uh, in this new post-pandemic world? Well, the first thing policymakers have to do is to recognise that we may be at a turning point in the labour market where certain occupations are being more highly valued than they were in the past. This is probably true of healthcare. It may be true of delivery drivers. It may be true as well of some of those who kept working throughout the pandemic, relatively lowly paid, maybe on minimum wage even, in occupations like retailing. The shops stayed, at least the supermarkets stayed open throughout. Maybe supermarket workers should be more highly valued and some other workers will be less highly valued. So it's possible that we're we're at the point of a, a, a recasting of relative pay among different occupations. I know, for example, the, the governor of the Bank of England, Andrew Bailey, has written a very interesting speech on this in which he discusses the possibility. He refers to the fact that uh, 30 to 40 years ago there was a change which which saw uh, uh, richer earners gaining more relative to poorer earners. And he thinks that there is the possibility that we're at the start of a new epoch in all this. So there will be definitely winners and losers in this new world, but it will take some time probably until uh, until we find out, right? Underlying the changes in the labour market are potential changes in the, in the sectoral structure of the economy. There's a strong possibility that uh, three, four or five years from now, we will see that some sectors have done very well out of the pandemic or the, the aftermath of the pandemic, and some sectors will have gone down, maybe not permanently, but uh, far far more than would have anticipated pre-pandemic. And the most obvious, obvious example of the second of those is air transport, where going back to the, the rate of air of flight flying that we saw prior to the pandemic may not happen. So many um, new developments and new challenges, and, and there's so much to do in terms of what policymakers uh, need to realize of how much this has changed. The pandemic has changed the rules for the labor markets and for other stuff as well. Um, Ian, uh, it's been great talking to you as always. So um, we'll be happy to, to invite you in the future. So thank you for your contribution. Thank you, Carlos. It's always a pleasure to talk with you and to contribute to Funcas. Thank you all for joining. 
this was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all, and stay well.